And so uh, today we have a special speaker. Her name is his name is Herman Kim. His name. He's our praise leader, but him and Caleb did a switcheroo, and he's got a really powerful message that's been burning on his spirit, he said, the past week. And so, let's give a warm welcome to Pastor Herman. All right. How you guys doing? Um, yeah, Pastor, I was sharing with Pastor Mina the other night that this word has been brewing for the entire month. And so, I'm hoping that I'll be able to articulate perfectly. Um, if not perfectly, his grace is sufficient for me. So uh, I believe there's a powerful word for you today. Uh, please turn your Bibles to Psalms 30, verses 11 to 12. Uh, once again, if this is your first time to New Philadelphia Church, we warmly, uh, with open arms, welcome you. Uh, you are beautiful. Um, if people give you a hug, please don't be overwhelmed. It just means that uh, we want to express Christ's love for you. Uh, we also want to challenge you. Uh, to stay in the Word this season, uh, especially as we've been challenged last week. The Word of God is foundational. Inasmuch as God's been pouring out His Spirit, the Word of God is key to keep us restrained towards His direction. Amen? Psalms 30, verses 11 to 12, I'm going to read from the ESV. And uh, coincidentally, uh, we didn't plan this, but this is the verse that we sang uh, today. Okay, you guys ready? We're going to read it together, verses 11 to 12. One, two, three, go. Amen. All right, everyone say, turn it around. All right, God is in the business of turning things around. Okay, this is not a turn or burn message. Uh, this is a message that God loves to turn things around. Uh, according to this verse here, God is in the business of turning our mourning, the sorrows of our heart, and he loves to bring forth dancing. Yeah, there's some people in this room during our worship, they just love to dance. And it's not a response because the music is hot and happening. But truly, God has done something here. In the souls of these people. And so you can't help but sing and dance, right? God is not only turning our mourning into dancing, but it says that he's loosening right now. Okay? God is loosening the sackcloth and he's clothing us with what? Gladness. Wow, check this out. That my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. Yeah. People of God, we are called not to be silent. The power of the song uh, is seen in all creation. Right now, all creation is not only groaning, but in its form and being is singing the praises of God. The rotation of the sun, glory, glory, glory. It's praising God as it rotates. In the same way, just in the way that God has created us, our natural overflow in the way that God has created us, we are giving praise. Amen? Isaiah 61 says that, through us, this is a key verse for our church, God will give the nations beautiful headrests instead of ashes, oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of faint spirit. What is he saying? Through the church, he's going to turn the ashes, people's lives, into beautiful headdresses. 
He's going to turn the mourning of people, the nations, North Korea, South Korea, all across China. He's going to give them, instead of mourning, oil of gladness. Can you guys see this? It's happening right now. Okay, there's a lot of depression, hopelessness that are binding the people of Korea and even North Korea right now. But God says, in Christ Jesus, Isaiah 61, through my church and in Christ Jesus, oil of gladness is going to be released. Okay, this is the anointing that we carry because Christ lives within us. We command mourning, turn. We command sickness, turn. Because why? God is a God who turns things for his good and for our good and for the nations. Amen? Garment of praise, faint spirit. So if you're feeling faint today, God is saying right now, I'm going to turn that around. Right now, this message is for you. If you feel depressed, hopelessness, despair, God is saying I'm turning that right now. Today is the day. You guys ready for it? All right, let's go to Genesis 50. I'm getting so stirred in the spirit. The word of God is living and active, and it's cutting places as we speak. Genesis 50, verses 20. The main text for today comes from the story of Joseph. Verses 20, and I'll read this in a loud voice. It says, as for you, speaking to his brothers, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for, what what, what did he say? Good. Good. Okay, everyone say good. Good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. As for you, you meant to harm me, you meant to hurt me. But what God is saying is that I'm using the very thing the enemy has used to try to destroy you to bring the goodness of not just for your life, but to bring salvation for many. Man. God used one man, Joseph. Can you imagine all the harm, the hurt, the betrayal? From all of that, God decided, you know what? I'm going to bring my goodness through that. I'm going to save all of Israel and establish my family in all the earth, through this man, Joseph. And that is the picture of the gospel, amen? Through one man's suffering, the immensity of pain and suffering he took on the cross, all of history, mankind's most wretched sin placed on him, that he would die and take it all. Why? For good. The Bible here is clear. It's a gospel message. The very thing the enemy is throwing at you to discourage you, to harm you, to weaken you, to destroy you. God is saying today, I'm going to turn that around. God has been turning it around, but especially in this season right now, in Pusan, God is going to turn it around for good. Amen? So in this context of goodness, I want us not to believe that this goodness is just for us. It wasn't just for Joseph. In the context of your suffering, God is saying, look, you suffered in your context. We're gonna, I'm going to release a goodness that is bigger than your, your context. He's saying, I'm declaring today, I'm turning your leaf around. It's time to see. Amen? But there is, at the center of all of this, of course, it has to do with the word of God. But I'm going to challenge you today, more than 
more than anything that I want to challenge you today is that God is asking for your hearts and mindsets to respond to this word. There's a mindset that God's shifting today. There's a shift happening right now where God is taking the prison mindset where everything is about my warfare, it's about my provision, my believing for just enough, my dealing with bondages. But God is saying, I want you to shift that mindset from the prison into the palace in Christ Jesus. Okay, you're going from the wilderness to the time of the promised land. And this is not just a, a good rhetoric, but this is a spiritual revelation that everyone needs to get. You're going from the wilderness right now and shifting into the promised land. Mindset. In Christ Jesus. The palace uh, represents so many things. And it means that we will see victory, fruitfulness and abundance of blessings for the nations. It's not just about us. It is for the nations. Uh, I was listening to Pastor Benjamin's uh, sermon Pastor Benjamin is a pastor of Living Hope Christian Center. He's also the spiritual father and mentor of our lead pastor, Pastor Christian. And I believe this is, this is key word for not just Living Hope, but a key word for New Philadelphia. He says, stop living for just the provision. Because provision is about believing just enough for me. Provision is just about my needs being met, and that's it. But he's saying it's time to believe for the blessing. Okay, prosperity, the reason why the church is so scared of prosperity is because prosperity, they think, will turn people's hearts away from Christ and to self. But true prosperity in the gospel turns us to be more satisfied in Christ, and that is the prosperity gospel that God wants us to receive. Amen? So when you walk in the prosperity of God, in the blessing of God, it's a good thing. Why? Because the blessing isn't about meeting my needs, but expecting the abundance to be released for the nations. When you are in abundance, when you're in blessing, it's easy to give. But if it's about provision, it's about my needs being met first. And so God is saying right now, you need to shift that mindset. You are a people of great victory. Christ Jesus has died for you to prosper. Today's message is inviting you to see that you are not a pauper, but a prince and a princess. So today's message title is going to be, Going from the Prison to the Palace. Everyone say prison. prison. To the palace. To the palace. Alright. So you know the story of Joseph. Uh, he's a man of great... Uh, Harm and hurt, rejection, great suffering. And uh, we can see that he was a man who was falsely put in prison. And it was a very difficult 13 years of his life to eventually become the number two of all of Egypt. He became the Mac Daddy. And uh, apart from God, uh, this could have not been. But this is really uh, something that God really prepared for the people of Israel. So we're going to go from the prison to the palace, and I want to release this word for Puzan today. So I'm going to call this going from the prison to the palace, Puzan Remix. <laughs> uh, this, the title's actually been used by another church. I'm going to kind of stole it. Uh, so 
But he got his inspiration from the Holy Spirit, so same source. Um, for the sake of the analogy today, I'm going to define what the prison and the palace is because it's very, I guess, seems like a fluffy term, right? But I want to give some substance to the words prison and palace. Uh, what it's like and how God uses the prison and the palace seasons. So let's begin with prison. What is the prison? Okay, number one, prison is the wilderness season. It's a place where we have tasted and seen and we've heard for the first time the word spoken. So there's great excitement. Yes, the word of God. We're pumped. The prison is a place where we're holding on to the promises of God, the prophetic words that were spoken over us by the leaders, the dreams that we have seen when we pray. But it's a place also where we feel like everything but it is being fulfilled. We feel like we're hitting a wall. And our bruise is getting bigger and bigger. It's also a place of spiritual restraint. A place where God has put safety harnesses on us. So that we would not harm ourselves. A lot of times when we hear a prophetic word or a message or a dream. Our first instinct and uh, I can testify with my own life, is to just go all out. And uh, many of you know that if, uh, if you go all out with, without the correct experience and wisdom, uh, there's potentially more, uh, I guess, possibilities of harming yourself and other people. And so the wilderness, the prison is a place of spiritual restraint. Prison is also a place where God reveals our hearts and he tests our hearts. It's a place of preparation, learning to walk in the full authority of our identity, our experiences, knowledge and wisdom, and is developing as well our spiritual gifts. Prison is actually a good place. It looks pretty nasty. It's pretty cold, but it's actually a good, warm place for the heart. God is dealing with the slavery mindset here. Yeah, what sort of slavery mindset is God dealing with you? The prison is a good place. It's a place where he's dealing with bondages. The slavery mindset says, even though Christ has set me free, I'm still bonded. But he's saying you are free. The son has set you free, you are free indeed. It's a place where he brings forth character. He deals with it like a diamond. As it's being formed in the depth of the earth with fire. To eventually become this beautiful crystal where the light shines through and all the earth can see its beautiful radiance. Prison, the season of the prison is a difficult and suffering place. It's a place where we are accused. There's places of stigma. Places where the enemy attacks. And God allows it. God allows Satan to come against our family, come against our health, come against who we are, our identity. God allows it. And in many regards, the prison is a place of hiddenness, hidden from the world. We know exactly what God has called us to do, and this is holy frustration. God, I know exactly what I need to do. But yet you feel so hidden. You feel so restricted. You feel... Many a times frustrated, but it's a refining place. Okay, so that's prison. Let's go to the palace. We're going to shift over to the palace. And this is the mindset I want to invite you to think about. 
palace is, of course, by nature, a promised land, a place where the Word of God lives and is being walked out in great maturity and faith. The palace is a place of great maturity. You know who you are. You know who God is. And there's so much confidence and peace in the way that you live your life. It's a place where the prophetic words and the promises are coming to pass left, right, and center. Nothing can hinder. There's an explosion everywhere you go. And God is saying, I'm faithful. It's a place where God has tested you, but also now is revealing that testing. He's vindicating you. It's a place of attainment, walking in the fullness of your identity. Okay, before it was about learning, learning about your identity, right? Now it's walking in the full, fullness of identity, heart's experience, knowledge, and wisdom, and the gifts. It's about sonship. The palace is a place of knowing who you are. It's a place of sonship. It's a place of rule and reign. We are co-heirs with Christ, seated in the heavenly places, and we take rulership in that place. It's a place of abundance. We are free, lacking nothing. So much overflow. There's no longer difficulties, though we may have our enemies come against us, but the very weapons immediately immediately falls back on their heads. Man, it's so good. Palace is a good place. So is the prison, mind you. Either way, palace mindset is something God is asking us to consider. Why? Because that's what we are created to be, to rule and to reign. When God gave Adam and Eve dominion, he said, take dominion of all the earth. Uh, It is through Satan that we lost that dominion. And now we're taking that back. Time to shift. So what does it take to go from the prison to the palace? Now, if God's going to take us from the prison to the palace, a place of fullness and maturity, I believe that we need to have a clear understanding and revelation of this. That the prison season that we are experienced or have experienced wasn't actually meant to harm us. The enemy might have intended to harm us, But, this is my first point, the prison place was a place to cultivate wisdom and humility. The prison place was a place to cultivate wisdom and humility. So turn your Bibles to Genesis 37. Genesis 37, we hear of a a family led by a man named Jacob. They are sojourning in the land of Canaan. And we are introduced to this man. His name is Joseph. And this young man, he's only 17 years old. And immediately from the get-go, the author lets us know that this youngest of 12 brothers is actually a snotty little brat. Uh... If you go to verses 2, it says that, And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. So he's this snotty little brat. Obviously, he is loved by the father. We know that he has so much favor. Uh, He's got a little bit of bounce in his step. He's one of those young brothers that that nag and nag is really annoying. 
Um, I'm actually a younger, youngest brother too. <laughs> I, can, I can kind of testify to Joseph a little bit. Uh, but he had a lot of favor with his brothers, uh, with his father. And the Bible says that, that they hated him and they could not speak peacefully of him. Unfortunately, when the favor of God is on your life, there's also going to be jealousy. Uh, there's also going to be arrows of hatred and words that aren't peaceful. But as people of God, we need to learn to be able to handle those words, learn to guard our hearts. Joseph uh, was, a, was 17 years old when he first received his dream. But here we see that not only did he uh, have immaturity in the natural sense, but he also lacked wisdom and character. Okay, where do I get this? As soon as he received the dreams, it says, two times, what did he do? He went and told his brothers. <laughs> now, did his brothers appreciate him? Did his brothers love him? Heck no. <laughs> Later on, we're going to see that he actually, they actually wanted to kill him. Listen, church, uh, when you receive specific words from God, when you receive dreams from God, there needs to be a strong application of wisdom. Not everyone's going to understand you. Uh, I say this strongly because uh, there will be times when you will be tested yourself. When God, re- God releases a word for you, the enemy will come and, and begin a question. And you holding on to that word may begin to question it itself. But you've got to fortify your heart, to guard your heart. But it comes with wisdom. It has to be in the place of accountability with the people around you, specifically to a community like this, and accountability to authority. That is key. As you pray, as you seek the Lord, as the God speaks to you, it needs to be in the place of wisdom, in a community, in the place of authority, and therefore safety. So again, he lacked wisdom. And the other part was a little bit of humility. 17 years old, gets this dream, tells the whole world, look at me, look at me. Yes, Joseph uh, was hard done by. Yes, he was attacked. But God had a plan to refine this man. So I do want to say this. As God encounters you and reveals a lot of things in your experiences, let us be humble. Let us not go around boasting, but know that God sees all. So as a people of God, we need to learn to keep secrets before him. You see, the humble know how to keep secrets with God. Proverbs, 13, uh, Proverbs 12, 23 says, A prudent man conceals knowledge, but a heart of fools proclaims folly. Also, the humble man knows who will ultimately get the credit. Psalms 115.1 says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to you be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Humility points glory back to him. It recognizes even in the midst of trying to understand, ultimately, God will have his glory. The rest of the story plays out. Joseph is taken by his brothers, chucked in a pit. They discuss what to do with him. Luckily for Joseph, there is the brother Reuben, 
who says, let's not kill him. Let's not let the blood of his life be on our hands. And so they sell him. They sell him. And he ends up in Egypt. Very hard done by. Difficult life. But God is setting him up. It's a setup. 13 years of preparation for, to, for him to mightily reign and rule and to bring about great salvation. Now, the prison is a place, as we see from Joseph, where his identity was truly established. Though it was tested, it was brought forth. It knocked out that pauper mindset and established the royalty within him. It was a place where he knew that it wasn't about what he did, but a recognition of who he was. Career is not more important than your character. Your character is far more important. Your heart. This whole process that we've been all on has been a matter of not career, but a matter of the character. So the most important thing that we need to draw, a revelation and understanding, in our prison seasons... Character is everything. Humility is everything. It is the key. If you want to go from the place of the prison to the palace, to be everything that God has called you to be, humility is the back door to the palace. Humility is knowing who God truly is. It is knowing who we truly are. And responding to all of life from that place. God cares so much about our character. Sometimes he cares more about the process than the final destination. We're so quick about God, take me to that place. I want that healing now. I want to receive that breakthrough now. God is saying, you know what? More than the actual attainment or breakthrough, I am your breakthrough. I am the breakthrough in the process. The process in itself is the breakthrough. That final destination is not your reward. I am your reward. Today, right now, he's saying no more prison mindset. You are a prince. Now. Humility depends on God. God, I need you more than ever before. God, this day... I humble myself before you. God, I depend on your word. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Open my eyes to your word. Let me see the wonderful things of your word today. God, without your word, God, I have no breath. I have no wind to allow me to move forward with these sails. But more than what we can do for God or what God does through our lives, ultimately it's about how much God loves us and how much we can respond to that love. How much we love God. So again, the prison helps us develop a dependence on God and love for God. And therefore, humility. Our relationship. Where is your relationship today? It doesn't matter if you're in the prison or the palace. Whatever season you're in. He's saying, where is your relationship with me today? So not only does he develop our humility in the prison... But he's also preparing us. I said that it, it didn't matter too much in what we do, but it kind of does. What I, mean, what I mean by this is, it is through the preparation in the prison 
He's developing a confident humility for the future. Right now, if God threw at you the dreams and visions and the things that he asked you to do in an instant, most of the times, if not immediately, we'd probably crumble under the weight. But in the life of Joseph, for example, there was some deep humbling that happened. One minute he's in the servanthood of Potiphar and his wife, and he's looking after the the house duties, the farming. It's a very humble means of living, a servant. But God was training him, learning how to lead others from that place, how to do the numbers, the accounting. Can you imagine all the lessons and wisdom that he gained? But in his mindset, he was probably thinking, how am I fulfilling my destiny here? It was a process. Without that time in the prison for Joseph, where he was learning the compassion, heart of God, if he went straight to the palace, the palace would be in chaos. He would not have the wisdom or the experience to lead forth a nation into the place of salvation. So we rejoice in our prison season. It is mighty. He's preparing us. Okay, next point I want to draw us to. If we are to walk through the seasons of prison to the palace, we need, to, we need to know that favor flows in all seasons. Favor is accessible whether you're in the prison or the palace. Why is this important? Because it pertains to the revelation that you do not lack anything in any season. Think about Joseph. Go to Genesis 39 just quickly. This guy gets sold. He's a nobody. No name. He's just a Hebrew young stud in the service of Potiphar's wife. What does the, what does the Bible says? It says in verse 2, the Lord was with this man and he became successful. Man. Successful. Success is not a worldly term. It is a biblical term. Success is a word that God gave. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor. So much favor. To the point that even what the Egyptian uh, household did, even what Potiphar did was blessed. So when God pours out his favor, which you have, it's not just for you, but it blesses the household that you stand on. Man, this guy's, this guy's not even a God-fearing dude. And God overflowed from Joseph's cup and blessed his household and his fields, and it multiplied. This is a perfect witness right here. Why? Because the Egyptian Potiphar, he recognized God's hand. And he started to revere him because he saw the favor on Joseph's life. And I feel like in the same way, regardless of whatever season you're in, God is asking you to see the favor that's on your life. You have the capacity to not only be blessed in your role and function in different places, but he's saying, I'm going to cause an overflow that the favor of God is going to allow your bosses to see the hand of God. And to say, God is alive. 
He's going to cause your hagwons to overflow. There is favor on your life, Puzan. To cause your children to learn and accelerate in learning like never before. God is causing favor to open doors where there haven't been doors open to the church before. There's a bridge. I believe that the Kwangan Bridge is a perfect picture. He's, bri- he's bridging the church to the secular world. He's bridging the business world to the church. The church is taking back what is his. The army is arising right now. Favor needs to be cultivated now. So what favor do you hold? Do you have relational favor? When you look at some people, you just see, man, that, that guy's got relational favor. Wherever he goes, people just love on this guy. Like people like Pastor Caleb. <laughs> Relational favor wherever he goes, right? People just love him. And it's not just a personality thing. But there's so much favor on him. He's become a manager of a bar. He became a manager of TCS. How are you stewarding that favor God has given you? How are you stewarding the financial favor? Are you in overflow right now? Are you overflowing financially? And what are you doing with that? Spiritual gifts. Some of you, man, you guys are packed. So much favor. So much gifts God has placed on your life. Are you hiding behind fear? God is saying, what are you doing with it? Fruitfulness. Man, some, some people here in this room, you guys are bearing fruit like crazy. The way that you communicate. Some of you guys are preachers, bearing so much fruit. Inasmuch as our spiritual gifts reveal what God has set us up for in the future, favor as well. Think about the favor that was on Joseph's life. He had so much favor with leaders wherever he went, just like Pastor Caleb. He'll end up in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's house, Potiphar sees the favor in his life. And he says, whatever I have is all yours. Now go ahead and do it. I see the favor on your life. He goes into jail. Even the jail head dude is like, I see the favor on your life. I give you full freedom to reign. What was, that, what was that all pointing to? It was pointing to his future to rule and reign over Egypt. The favor of God was pointing to the favor that he will rule and reign over Egypt. In the same way, the favor that's on your life is pointing towards what he wants to do in the future. Do you have a relational favor? He's going to bring networking in the future to you and use you. Again, favor is not about you, to bless the nations. That is the favor of God. My daughter's name is Carice, and uh, it means grace. Grace, uh, in Greek, if it was translated, means unmerited favor. Favor is not determined by our circumstances. Favor does not, is not bound by where you are. God pleases. God pleases to harden the hearts of man, just as we see in Romans. God pleases to soften the hearts of man, as he did with Pharaoh. In the same way with favor, he chooses whoever he wants, even with spiritual gifts. Even the most evilest man, the Bible says that the spiritual gifts are irrevocable. It's in as much as God, it's up to God to give the grace and favor. The second part I want everyone to think about 
is the, I guess, the word cultivation that God, God has asked us to steward of the, of the favor. There's a part where it's up to God who gives the favor. But the second part is, what are we doing with that favor? Prison favor shows us a glimpse of our palace favor. One minute you're over here cleaning the chairs. But there's favor in your life. And there's so much fruit. There's zero bugs on the chairs. <laughs> it's so clean. One minute you're teaching kids. Oh man, so much favor. It's just overflowing. The kids are growing. And the, and the manager sees that. And so he places you in a place where you're managing other teachers. There's open doors suddenly. You're relating to hundreds of other epic teachers. And then there's this opportunity to invite all of these hundred to one of our New Philly events. hundred of them get saved. All of a sudden, our church is 1,000. <laughs> favor, man. When favor gets a hold, it's unrelenting. But that's all God, amen? Okay. The final point I'm going to close with today uh, which I've been brewing on the most, uh, which is the main point. So many of us, we've been through that season. We've gone through some difficulties. God has really developed our character. We've learned to steward the word of God and respond. And we are walking in the fullness of our favor. And this leads us to my third point, where God is saying he's going to bring fruit from our affliction. Okay, let me uh, build this case up for, for you. Bear with me. I feel like right now that God is speaking, uh, not just for my life, but for the people of Busan. He's, he's going to take some of the most darkest moments of your life, the most traumatic and difficult. The areas that you feel like life cannot grow. He's saying, I'm about to bring fruitfulness. Life is coming. Um, my wife is pregnant right now with our second baby. Uh, she, she is three to four months. Three months? Three to four months? Four months, okay. Um, and a, a few weeks ago, we had the opportunity to uh, go to the hospital and find out the gender. And uh, this is fun. I know that some people don't like to find out the gender. Um, I'll give you two reasons why uh, finding out the gender is, is fun. Uh, number one, you get to actually prepare for the birth. So you're like, you know, you can begin to sell the girly clothes that you have from his nuna and begin to prepare, you know, little things, get excited. Um, but the second thing that Grace and I are having a little bit of fun with, along with some of the community members, is the name. Uh, I know some of you guys were thinking of some Spanish names. Uh, so our daughter's name is Karis. Uh, Karis Zoe Kim. And as you know, Karis means grace. And Zoe means life. Zoe in Greek. Uh, and so there's a reason why I specifically, in that season when we had Karis, uh, felt led to give her that name. Um, there's a meaning behind it. And uh, so al along that line, the... 
the name Karis, we thought, oh, we want to give a name that has that cut-cut sound as well. So we're thinking maybe like Carlos. <laughs> I wasn't thinking that, but uh, we were thinking maybe for a split second we thought of Christian. Grace was thinking that. I was like, you know, no way. Uh, no way. I, I, mean, I personally like the name Christian, but there's some, someone that we know who has the same name. Um, and every time, I think every time I call, I would call my son Christian, it would like, I think it would give me shivers. Yeah. Um, so we're thinking of a name that has the cut cut sound, but uh, we'll see. Uh, so we're prayerfully waiting on finding out about, I guess, his characteristics, his personality. Uh, when Karis was in Grace's belly, a lot of the words and prayers that we received was, this is a season of great grace for you. Um, and for me personally, I was feeling a lot of grace as we were transitioning in. But also someone was praying over us that wherever she goes, she's going to bring life. And so uh, obviously being a seminary student, um, I was doing my Greek studies and Zo- Zoe came, came to mind, Zoe. And so that's why we named her Karis Zoe. So name is important, right? Name is very significant because it represents a person's character. It could al- also represent a person's destiny. Uh, even in the beginning of time, God gave the name Adam and Eve. He called them Adam and Eve. I can't remember the meaning of it, uh, but I think Eve means the first woman. Uh, Adam means the man or something like that. But on top of that, he empowered Adam to give names. Uh, in as much as God was in the business of giving names, he gave the dominion for Adam to give names. So Adam went along. Oh, Camel. Oh, tiger. And so, I'm sure it took a long, long process. But the naming process is pretty significant. It's pretty spiritual. Uh, Throughout all of biblical history, even when God encountered his people, before he revealed his name in the Old Testament, uh, there were situations where Israel was crying out for provision. They were at a, at a place where they, they were so empty, so barren, and they needed a supernatural provision. And God met them in the desert. And as soon as they met him in the desert from the place of provision, he revealed his name. I am the Lord God, your provider. I am Jehovah Jireh. And many accounts happened like that. God needed, God, uh, God's people needed God. They saw a character of God as a healer, and then God reveals his name. I am the healer, the Lord God, Jehovah Rapha. Uh, Abraham, his name was Abraham, right? And he became Abraham. God changed his name. He became the father of nations. Jacob, uh, God changed his name because he was such a wrestling dude for blessing. Changed his name to Israel, which means may God prevail. Uh, Kephas, Jesus renamed him as Peter, now becoming the rock. Saul became Paul, which means humble. So many. Think of all the biblical names. There's a, uh, there's a meaning behind every single one. Uh, but I think over time and culture has kind of watered down uh, the significance of name, name giving. And so even now, like, we, we will choose names that are, you know, sounding nice or, you know, like, it sounds prissy. Or pretty, very cultural and in. 
like, you know, named after, like, Brad Pitt. So I'm going to name my son, son Brad. Um, but in any case, uh, we see throughout history, naming is a very significant matter to the world and to God. So after Joseph goes through this crazy 13 years of facing imprisonment, false accusations, temptation, so much, so much of waiting on God, he comes to the place in chapter 41 where there's his back door to the palace. He interprets the dreams of two uh, servants of the Pharaoh, and one of the, both of them forget, and later on one of them remembers and says to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, I remember a guy who can interpret dreams. He was in the prison. And so immediately they take him out. And Pharaoh's like, can you interpret this dream? He shares his dream. And uh, Joseph makes a point that God is the God of all dreams. He alone can interpret. So he gives the interpretation. And it was a very, very important interpretation. He says that seven years of famine is coming, so you need to be ready. But before the seven years of famine, there's going to be seven years of prosperity. And so Pharaoh says, who, who, can, who can only interpret these dreams but steward this word in his own way? And he looks at Joseph. He says, Joseph, since you are the one to give this interpretation, I in charge you with the stewardship of this word. That's pretty biblical, right? He gets in charge to steward the word. And so he becomes number two. He gets the signet ring from Pharaoh. It's like the most powerful nation of all the earth. It's like Obama coming to you and giving you the, the key to turn the nuclear bomb. Whenever you want, however you want, it's up to you. You don't like North Korea? All right. I give you access to all of the resources, everything you have wisdom in charge of. I'm giving it into your hands. And so he goes from the place of the prison, and now he's in the place of the palace. Vindication of some sort. And it is here he gets married. And when you get married, uh, some loving happens. And he has two babies. In verses 41... It says, before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. His wife's name was Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore them to him. And he calls the name of his two sons. The first son was named Manasseh. The second son was called Ephraim. Okay, let me explain the names of these Two sons. The first son, Manasseh. The Bible says that Joseph named him Manasseh because God had helped him and made him forget all his hardship. So that was the first son. He named the second son Ephraim because in reflection of his season, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. As I was reading these two names, Manasseh. God has, has made me forget all my hardships. I felt my spirit just leap. 
uh, I felt my spirit leap in the context of our babies. So last year, uh, a pastor dropped through our leadership retreat and he released a prayer for our house, for our church, to say that we'll give birth to two babies, uh, worship and warrior. Um, and they will play a role in the revival of our church and the things that God will do in Busan. So worship and warrior. We don't specifically know what that will look like and how that will be played out, uh, but that's something that this house carries and we're trying to steward. So in memory of that, I felt, that, I felt like the Lord speaking about these two uh, babies, worship and warrior. And in the order of these two babies, uh, I want to take a step of faith and give them two names, Manasseh and Ephraim. Okay, stay with me. I felt like the Lord saying that he's leading us and has led many of the sons of this house into forgetting all our hardship. Puzan is a place where God's going to help people forget their hardships. According to Jeremiah 43:18 it says forget not uh, remember not the former things nor consider the things of old behold behold I am doing a new thing now it springs forth do you not perceive it I'm making a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert So in this place here in this space God is saying I'm going to make rivers come to the desert places Manasseh I'm going to help people be healed and forget their hardships I believe the second baby goes by the name of Ephraim, where God has made fruitful in the land of affliction. I feel like Busan, we're going to see fruitfulness come forth. I feel like there's going to be a lot of fruitfulness. And it doesn't come from the place of happy sun and, and just glory, but actually it's going to come from the place of affliction. I feel like this place is going to be a place where people are going to feel welcomed and loved. In the most deepest of their affliction, they're going to find healing. Our strongest anointing is the anointing where we have our greatest pain. I feel like there's going to be fruitfulness that's going to come from our deepest pains to release unto others. The end of the story, Jacob goes on to blessing Joseph's two sons. And usually the right hand signifies the main blessing. But here what happens is he gets his hands mixed up and Joseph gets really offended. He says, Manasseh is the first son. How come you're blessing Ephraim? And Ephraim gets the blessing, even though he's the youngest. Now, I don't want to try to force this analogy, but what I was kind of meditating on was that Manasseh is important. I think it's very important that we as a house learn to forget our afflictions. But what is first and foremost of our ministry is not about forgetting and being healed of our deepest afflictions, but from our afflictions, fruitfulness is going to come forth. There's a two-part baby. Getting healing, but also bringing forth revival from our healing. It kind of sounds uh, like our vision statement anyway. But Manasseh and Ephraim. But specifically people in this room right now. I feel like there's some deep 
afflictions that you have been carrying, uh, stigma, which Pastor Marcus preached about, some deep hurts that you feel like it is the most despairing and hopeless situation, and it's taken years and years for God to come and redeem. And I feel like God's saying that is the strongest place of anointing God is bringing forth through you for the people and the city of Busan. The very thing that the enemy intended to take you out is the very thing God's going to use to bring revival to Busan. Have you struggled with eating addictions, self-image issues? Have you struggled with family problems, divorce? God is saying, I'm, I'm about to heal you completely. And I have healed many of you. But not only are you healed, but I'm about to release you to the nations. Ephraim. He's saying, your name may be Manasseh. That's one of the babies. But he's saying Ephraim. 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 He's bringing fruitfulness right now in your afflictions. There is fruit. There's been many seasons where you felt like, man, there is no way. There's no way that God can heal me in this area. There is no way God can bring forth any light in my family. But God is saying to you today, Ephraim, God will not only cause you to forget, but there's fruit. There's a fruit. There's a shifting that is happening today. So Jacob goes ahead and blesses Ephraim, and he declares over Ephraim that he will bring forth a multitude into the house. There will be a multitude of Ephraim. And in the same way, there's a multitude coming to bless the nations. Ephraim, our afflictions is going to be the place where revival is going to come forth. And I want to invite people to discerningly and prayerfully consider this. Consider what it means for the afflictions of your life. God will make you and help you forget, get healed up in this house. But what would it mean to be fruitful in it? Because God's about to cause you to be fruitful. So I wanted to spend some time in prayer right now. And I want, to, I, want to, I want us to sow this word. And if we can all stand right now, all together as a church. Yeah, I want you guys to consider right now, I'm going to give you guys about a 30 seconds to a minute, just in your own prayer. Consider the words that were spoken from this pulpit today. And what does Ephraim and Manasseh mean to you, personally? Secondly, in the time of prayer, I want us to consider what Manasseh and Ephraim, these two babies, mean to Busan and this city. Just take a moment just to ask, and we're just going to wait for a little bit.
And then uh, follow his voice and his leading as we pray. Just take a moment. Let's pray.